Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. All right, well, two weeks ago we began a series and a sermon on the Mount. Has everyone been able to listen to that message from a couple of weeks ago? Good. Um, This is one of those series where you're going to have to work. Um, If you don't work, you're going to miss it. And um, this is one of these series, and in particular, what I'm going to try, what I'm going to try to do today, if you can get what I'm trying to say today, now if I stuff it up, I mean, that's my bad, you know what I'm saying? But what I'm going to try to do today is actually frame our mind to actually understand what Jesus is saying in these blessings, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And if we can get this, we can actually read the rest of the sermon in, in, a, in a more accurate way, in a more transformative way. And I really believe that as we go through this, um, the, the, what, what we're going to be talking about today, if we think about it, ponder it, outwork it, it's actually going to um, be, be a great um, resource for us to discard some bad thinking that we develop over the time um, and um, just really just un- unstick a lot of our... Does anyone have like some like stinking thinking like that comes up every now and then? Oh, all you guys are just like so righteous. Yeah, it's only the pastor who thinks like... You, you know, there, there, are, there are things where you sort of like they mess with your head. And this has the power and opportunity to actually um, correct some of that stuff. So the title of today's message, if you are taking notes, is called, Why Am I Blessed? I know you had Doug here last week, um, and we're in this process of looking for an executive pastor. So he missed. Um, he didn't speak on, on last week. So I'm going to try and catch you guys up and bring you up, up to speed. So I'm reading uh, Matthew chapter one verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 1, far out. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to 12 if you have your Bible either open it or turn it on Bibles come in all shapes and sizes with technology these days Um, I'm going to read from a particular translation but whatever's up it all kind of read the same so from verse 1 this is how it reads seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. How about that? When people just have a go at you. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What an incredible way to begin a sermon series, right? Could you imagine if every single sermon series, I know last year we did Mark and then we went to Ephesians, now in Sermon on the Mount, could you imagine that, that instead of like trying to come up with any kind of like cute little illustration or, or a joke or have a crack at the Fremantle Dockers every now and then just to get your attention, could you imagine if your pastor actually started every single sermon just with a blessing? So I just want to bless you. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Anyone want some more blessing from the pulpit this year? Yeah? All right. <laughs> bit of feedback. <laughs> it's nice to know. But as I've been looking through and, and reading over the last couple of months, just in, in preparation for this series, I find it interesting that Jesus begins with his blessings. 
And what we actually find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this is actually a collection of what you would expect Jesus to be teaching and preaching all over Israel. This is what he taught, okay? This didn't necessarily happen on one particular day, but this is what you would expect. This is his catalog, in other words. What an amazing thing to do to begin with his blessings, especially when you start to understand what he's actually saying when he uses that word blessed. Because there were a couple of different understandings or a couple of different words that could be translated blessed um, back in um, ancient Israel. The first kind of blessing could be, if you do this, you will be blessed in the future. We use that a lot, eh? Like, I'm going to pray for you so you'll be blessed. I'm going to do this so I will be blessed in the future. And we understand that, you know, I'm looking to the future to be blessed sometime in the future, whether that be in an hour's time or tomorrow or something. I'm looking out for my blessing. That was one understanding. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The word blessed that Jesus is using here is a present reality that is outworked in a future reality as well. So he's talking about a relational kind of thing and actually saying, you're already blessed and you will continue to be blessed. Isn't that pretty good? You know, um, it sounds good as long as you know what exactly that blessing is. Um, It would be a little bit like this if we were to use kind of an earthly kind of example and maybe a monetary kind of example and and sort of use that kind of paradigm. It would be kind of this kind of relationship. You know, blessed are the children of Bill and Melinda Gates because they will inherit the estate of Bill and Melinda Gates. That's what it would mean, right? You know, like like last week I was thinking of using my own kids as that, but they're not going to be inheriting anything like that. You know, they might be inheriting a banged up car or something. But but it kind of makes sense. And and when you use it in that context, you have some kind of understanding. Okay, the children of Bill and Melinda Gates, they're already the children, they're already blessed, but they will also be blessed in the future because they will be inheriting something. But you have an understanding of what that blessing means in that context, don't you? But when Jesus is using this word blessed, very often we don't have an understanding of what he is saying because we actually take our Western Christian mind and we put it in here and we don't necessarily understand what he's saying. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, if you're one of those random people who are following Jesus at that present time, back when Jesus was walking around, if you're one of the crowd and you sat down and you heard Jesus out of his mouth and he said, you are blessed, I wonder what your understanding would have been. Because that's what we need to try to get to. Because if I can understand what they heard and what they understood, why they thought and believed they were blessed, that if I can understand that, then I will know why I am blessed. Because you're not blessed because you've got the new car. Because that sucker's going to break down in 10 years' time. You know what I'm saying? You call it blessed now, you'd be kicking the tire in 10 years' time. You know what I'm saying? Right? Isn't that true? You might have a new job tomorrow. Fantastic. Get the sack in a fortnight because your probation, you stuffed it up. You're not so blessed there. You, you know, these are great things when you get them, but that is not the reason why you are blessed. And I'm glad that that's not the reason why I'm blessed because I want a blessing that goes far beyond a car. I want a blessing that goes beyond something that's so temporary. I want a blessing that goes even beyond my health. I'm healthy today. You know what? I could be sick tomorrow. I want something that goes beyond that. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that you are Blessed. Why are they blessed? So I'm going to use one of these verses that we missed last week, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, in order to show us why we are blessed. And what I'm going to actually unpack today, you can actually use this, extrapolate this, and use this for the other blessings um, and actually understand what Jesus is talking about. Um, and we're going to do that. So the one we're going to use today is a really, really exciting one. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Um, I'm going to read it, and you guys will know this is really exciting, Dave. This is fantastic. Blessed are those who mourn. Isn't that an exciting word? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. Before we get into what Jesus is talking about, I think there's a couple of ways we read these Beatitudes. And especially if you've been around the Christian traps for a while, I bet you've heard teaching and preaching that goes along these kind of lines. The first one is seeing these Beatitudes as some kind of ethical teaching, right? Ethical teaching. Therefore, I do this and I do this. There's even um, uh, um, people who say, first, you know, you need to start being poor in spirit. Then when you're poor in spirit, then you start to mourn. Then you become meek. And it's almost like you've got this ladder and you have to start climbing up the ranks of a ladder um, and do that. And that's actually not what Jesus is doing here. The funny thing is, however, there are other portions of Scripture that actually do exhort us to embody this stuff that we're going to read here. So there are portions of Scripture, yeah, we are supposed to be pure. That we, there, there is a purity that we are supposed to embody. You can't kind of say, well, Jesus isn't doing this here, so that stuff, that I don't need to be meek anymore. I don't need to be humble. I don't need to be pure. I can do whatever I want. That's not what, Jesus, that's what the Scripture is saying. Uh, but there are parts that we do need to embody. Um, I think one of the, um, the beautiful pictures that um, a really, really smart guy called Tim Mackey um, uses when he talks about the Beatitudes. Anyone familiar with the Bible Project? You should be. Um, Tim Mackey, such a smart guy. Um, but he looks at the Beatitudes and he says, like, the Beatitudes are like, um, it's like panels of a stained glass window. And when you look at the panels of a stained glass window, um, they are beautiful, aren't they? They're magnificent. You could look at them. You could examine them individually. They look great. They're fantastic. And they're so intriguing. But the purpose of those panels is not really to be seen by themselves. The purpose is to be able to see those panels as they're put together because those panels create an image, right? Don't they? So when you look at these Beatitudes and you have that kind of mindset, there is actually an image of a person that is actually seen as you put these panels of these Beatitudes together. Someone who is poor in spirit, someone who is meek, someone who is pure, someone who is persecuted, someone, you know what I'm saying? The image is Jesus, right? That's the image. The image is Jesus. It's actually a portrait of Jesus. So if we are to embody um, the kingdom of God, if we are supposed to image Jesus more, it makes sense. Yes, we do need to embody more of these characteristics, more of these virtues, but that's just not what Jesus is teaching here when he does these blessings. So I don't want us to think, you know what, Dave said, I don't need to be pure anymore. I can go, do- no, no. Um, we, we, still, we still have purity of heart. Second thing is that they pertain to individual virtues. That Jesus is kind of calling out people and saying, you guys, you guys look really pure. Blessed are you. You know, there's another group. You know what? You guys look pretty meek. Blessed are you guys. And blessed are you guys. And sometimes we see these virtues and we look at them and we study them and we actually use them and look at them individually. But two weeks ago, I introduced you guys to an idea which is seen in Matthew, um, in the Beatitudes, but also Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 9, called an inclusio. Do you remember that? All right? Someone say yes, otherwise the pastor's going to be so disheartened. Put all this work and study in and no one's listening to me. (laughs) But an inclusio, an inclusio, an inclusio is like a bracket, okay? You have a bracket and you have all this content inside of it. Then you have another bracket. And the purpose and the function of the bracket or the purpose and the function of the inclusio is to describe everything that is inside of the bracket. 
So if you love life hacks, find some inclusios in Scripture and you read that bracket, you read that bracket, and you get the whole lot. Fantastic. I mentioned um, two weeks ago, there's a inclusio, Matthew 4.35, I believe, to the end of Matthew chapter 9, which actually gives you the content and the meaning of everything between Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9. And you could easily read two verses of Scripture and come to me and say, Dave, I know everything that is happening in Matthew 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And I just say, you ain't that smart. You just read an inclusio. That's the purpose of inclusios. Okay? So in the Beatitudes, it's very interesting to know that the first eight, there is actually an inclusio, an inclusio, which is really important for us to know. Matthew 5 verse 3 is the first of these inclusios. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. Pay attention to the language, because it's the repetition of language which actually indicates an inclusio. Go down to Matthew 5 verse 10 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's an inclusio. That lets us know what Jesus is talking about, what he's teaching about, what he's preaching about. Everything within those brackets is about the kingdom of heaven. And that even goes, and, and it brings greater understanding if we look at a different rendering of what Jesus is talking about in that very first bracket, a rendering which is far more closer to the original language, Matthew 5 verse 3. Just listen to this and see if this actually changes your understanding. Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is made up of such as these. Right? That's very different to blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. No, Jesus is sitting down on a mountain looking out at these people who are just like these random people. They are not the best of the best. He's sitting down and he's looking out at these random people and he's thinking to himself, you know what, there is something so familiar about this. This just feels good. You know, it feel, this feels like my kingdom because blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of God it belongs to such as these. This is what it's made up of. That's the bracket. Okay, that's the bracket. That's what he's talking about. And again, like we've already kind of gone down to who are these people who are following Jesus? Matthew 4 verse 23 to 25 lets us know who they are. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were in various diseases, those suffering severe pain. We're not talking about like a sore thumb here. In severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Could you imagine in your imagination, you see these group of people following Jesus? Like you're with a group of people, and there's a bunch of people, there's someone over there, dude, that person's demon-possessed, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen a demon-possessed person? They're like crazy. There's stuff happening over there. Over there, there's someone having a seizure, right? There's another person who, who can't like walk because his leg's not working. Like Seriously, these are not the people you would expect to be following a king. These are the people that, that because of their condition, the rest of Israel will look at them and say, you are dirty, you're unclean. You, something must have happened to you for you to be possessed by a demon. Something must have happened to you. You must have done something wrong to have this kind of disease. And Jesus is sitting down looking at these kind of people and say, this feels like my kingdom, right? Now, I wonder why the church has a reputation for always going to clean places, always being in clean places, and we say we're following Jesus, and Jesus is out with dirty people, 
right? Jesus is out over there. We're over here saying, happy, clappy, hallelujah. We follow Jesus. No, you're not following Jesus. And you've got to be careful. This sermon's going to mess with us because at the end, Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it. That shit hits you in the gut because that hits me in the gut. As a senior pastor, it lets me know there are people in the churches that I lead right now who are not going to make it. And that's why I am determined to teach scripture and to let you know this is serious stuff. It's amazing stuff. It's brilliant stuff. But please, do not think just because you come and tick a box that you are following Jesus because he's out there in the dirt. You know? Is that right? It's true. It's true. Why are all these fringe people following Jesus? It's because he is teaching he is preaching and he is demonstrating one solitary thing, the kingdom of God. That's it. And they know that. The proclamation of the kingdom of heaven is not a new concept for these people. It is not new for them. They have been waiting for this moment because they know their story. They know Israel's story. They know the relationship. They know the way that God has revealed himself to his people. They know it. They're expecting it. And because they're expecting it, they don't have a westernized escapism theology that we often do, where we think, I just need to buy my time here on earth so that I can leave earth to go to heaven. That never enters their thinking. It never enters Jesus' thinking, and it never enters Paul's thinking. Right? They know that when someone is talking about the kingdom of God, in their mind is like, there are all of these kingdoms in this world and God has shown throughout his history with Israel that he comes in a particular way to assert his kingdom reign over every other kingdom. So when a random prophet, rabbi, starts preaching and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God, they're saying, whoa, heaven is breaking in right now. It's not a mindset, I'm leaving earth to go to heaven. No, heaven's coming here. We've lost that because we have 1,500 years of tradition that we need to unravel and go back to what's actually happening here. They don't have escapism theology. It hasn't been invented yet. Hasn't been, we, we, haven't had, we haven't had that yet. They know. They know their story. They know. They are waiting for God to return. They are waiting for the kingdom of God to be reestablished here on earth. They know the hope and the promises of God that, that he will come and he will reassert his kingdom, his kingdom reign, his kingdom rule over every other kingdom. And the reason why we know this is because in the Beatitudes, Jesus does something which is so familiar to them, but so foreign to us. He does something that every other rabbi does. He does something that Paul does throughout his um, Pauline epistles, throughout the New Testament. He does this thing which is called, he is stringing pearls. He is stringing pearls, okay? What that means is that what Jesus does and what Paul does and the other New Testament authors actually do is that they throw out a verse or they throw out an image and in the minds and the imagination of everyone listening in that particular context, there, there is their imagination arcs all the way back to Israel's story. It, it arcs all the way back to Israel's scriptures. It's a little bit similar to if I said this. It, like, let, me, let me string a pearl right now. The Lord is my shepherd. Where does that take you to? Psalm 23. But does it take you to just the verse 1 of Psalm 23? 
No, it takes you to the entire psalm, right? String and pearls. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does that take you to Genesis 1 verse 1? No, that takes you to the entire creation narrative. Have you ever wondered what John is doing in the Gospel of John when he says, in the beginning was the Word? There's that word, in the beginning was the Word. Well, he's taking you back to the creation narrative because the creation narrative is significant to the Gospel of John, especially on Resurrection Sunday when it says on the very first day of, the, of a brand new week, we actually get this huge thing. It's like, wait a minute, now John's not talking about creation. He is now talking about new creation. All right? So there's this stringing of pearls that's happening throughout the New Testament. And that's actually what Jesus is doing. And that's your thing, Luke. Like, like when you're coming up to preach, he is stringing pearls. So the thing is, what is, he, what is he actually pointing to when he says this? Because when he throws something out, we think, blessed are the mourn, those who mourn, right? Or blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And we actually put our Western mind in that, but for a... One of these people who are sick and demon-possessed and having seizures and crippled and like needing other people to carry them and, and they're listening to Jesus. When he says, you are blessed because of this, they know exactly why they're blessed. We have a bit of work to do. This is what Jesus is saying. And, and again, like when we do get like th good things happen to us, we need to thank God for it, you know. I'm blessed I've got my health. I've got a beautiful family. I'm part of two incredible communities. I'm, mate, I'm blessed. And I thank God for that, right? But ultimately, there is a deeper blessing that Jesus is talking about when he's stringing these pearls. And this is what Jesus is pronouncing when he says to these people, this crowd of people, you are blessed. He's saying, your wait is now over. Everything that you are hoping for, your biblical hope, your eschatological hope, everything that Israel's scriptures have been pointing to, your wait is now over because every single promise is now fulfilled in me and it will be outworked through you. And because of that, you are blessed. You are blessed. Every hope that Israel had is fulfilled in Jesus. Guess what? It's now being outworked through Kalamunda Church of Christ. And it's for that reason that you're blessed. Got your health? Haven't got your health. Got a million bucks? Bankrupt. Doesn't matter. Don't mean a thing. Seriously, does not mean a thing. The circumstances don't mean a thing. I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Jesus is my king. All of the hope, all of the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. And now they are Potentially, if I allow it to be outworked through me, man, I'm blessed, man. You know, got a job, haven't got a job. Man, I'm blessed. I'm happy. You know what I'm saying? Dude, man, I grew up in Armadale. I got this color skin, right? Yeah? I got the name Ryder, right? I got this nose. I've had everything thrown at me. Don't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. Does not mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. You could treat me any way you want. You could say whatever you want to me. You can do whatever you want to me. Don't mean a thing. I'm blessed. I am blessed. Let me tell you, I am so, so blessed because I know my God. I know my Jesus. I know He is King. I've given my life to Him. And the promises of God, they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now they're going to be outworked through me. I'm blessed. I know why I'm blessed. I know why I'm blessed. Do you? Yeah. 
I'm blessed. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, in the crowd, their imagination is going nuts. And in their mind, in their imagination, there is this huge arc that is going back to an entire chapter. And it's a very familiar chapter for us if we know the words of Jesus, and in particular, even if we know how the Gospel of Luke begins Jesus' ministry. But we need to understand that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor or blessed are those who mourn, they are going all the way back to this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And what Jesus is saying, everything in Isaiah 61 is now fulfilled in me and it's going to be outworked through you. And the thing is, we don't know why we're blessed unless we know what Isaiah 61 actually says. But that's what he's doing. He's stringing pearls. Are you with me so far? Right? That one line throws him all the way back. So with that in mind, let me read to you Isaiah 61. And some of these words are going to be very, very familiar. And keep in mind again, Jesus is saying, this is now fulfilled in me. And now it's going to be outworked through you. And that was always the plan. Even from Genesis, it was always the plan that God's covenantal reign, God's covenantal rule is administrated through his covenantal people. We've said this so many times over the last 14 months. Isaiah 61 from verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Does that sound familiar? To proclaim good news to the poor. There it is. To the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, there we go, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes and oil for joy. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. They, they have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in the, their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive in your inheritance. So you will so, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. I re my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in, in the robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteous and praise spring up before all the nations. There are some pretty cool things in that chapter, right? Pretty cool stuff. And you imagine you're walking around, you're in this state of despair, you're in this state of pain, you are actually out in the fringes of society, you're not living in Jerusalem where all the cool cats are, you're out in Capernaum, you're a hard-working person, and you're doing it hard, and you're doing it rough, and all of a sudden, this chapter is coming to your mind, coming to your remembrance, and there's this random guy who's teaching, preaching, and demonstrating the kingdom of God, and says, you're blessed because this is now happening. Wow, that place would have been electric. So electric. Whew. 
Goodness me. I tried to paint a picture last week, two weeks ago. But keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. You're hearing this. Just imagine you're in the crowd, you're hearing this. And it was only a couple of hours ago, only a couple of hours ago, you walked out the front door of your house. And as you closed your front door, you looked out, and the reality of this present day just hit you like a ton of bricks. You see these soldiers, you see these thugs prancing around. And all of a sudden, you're aware once again, as you were yes, just yesterday when you came out into your land which you love, this promised land that's supposed to be like so, so amazing. It comes to your mind once again that even though you are living in the promised land, Israel, you are by no means living in the promises of God. And you're walking around and you're looking and even in your mind, you're thinking, you know, well, I've got some friends. I've got some family. They live about 15 kilometers away. And last week, last week, their land was taken from them. And this land had been passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. And the reason why it was taken was because these Romans came in and the taxes went up and up and up. And it was unfair. It was unjust. No one could do anything about it. And, and, and instead of actually these, these family of yours, these friends of yours, working their own land, they had to give up their land. So now they're working someone else's land. Isaiah 61, foreigners and strangers will work your land. Right? We need to try and get into the moment. Injustice, man. We can read these things or read these stories, but imagine if you had something handed down to you and it was stolen from you and there was nothing you could do about it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is is coming and saying, Isaiah 61 is going to be fulfilled. You think, does that mean I'm getting my land back? That's pretty cool. And you're living in this moment and your heart sinks as, as, as you're kind of thinking about this. And even as you remember the scriptures and everything, like even like a couple of hours ago in your prayer time and, and all that, and, and you, it's kind of hit you like as you were walking out your front door, like we've got these, these songs, these prayers, these scriptures. I, I, I go to the synagogue, I'm doing all this kind of stuff, but God hasn't spoken to us in 400 years. And you know your story, you're swimming in your story. And you know that you are most definitely under the rule and the reign of a ruthless, relentless, powerful king or overlord. And you know the narrative of your people with your God. And you call him Caesar Augustus, but you might as well call him Pharaoh. You might as well call him Pharaoh. And with that backdrop, you're sitting down. This random rabbi, prophet, sits on a mountain and declares these blessings on you and says, This is why you're blessed. With that backdrop, because all that stuff is being fulfilled today, and now it's going to be outworked through you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is made up of such as these broken, Caesar-ridden, crippled people who are just crying out to God. You're blessed. Jesus is saying, you're blessed, you're the first. Welcome, come, welcome. The kingdom belongs to you. It belongs to you. Incredible. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like, again, get your mind into first century Israel. In the original language, that word earth and land are exactly the same word. Do you honestly think that like, ancient Israel, they are really that concerned about Australia? They're not concerned about the earth. 
They're concerned about their land. Right? Again, wait a minute. You mean we're going to get our land back? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those... And even with the meek, there's an indictment against what's happening in the temple. Because those leaders in the temple, they are actually pushing down the poor. And they are like ripping them off. They are using their influence and their power to actually dehumanize people. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek who can actually hold their positions to bless others, to pour into others, and not to use that for their own personal advantage. Blessed are those people, because my kingdom belongs to such as these. Here's the conundrum when it comes to power. And Easter tells us this. There is not one human person alive who is strong enough to handle power. Because as soon as we get power, we hurt people. That's why we need a rightful king, a just king, a righteous You know what I'm saying? That's why we need it. So if you are placed in positions of authority, you need to be very careful how you hold that. You better be very careful. Jesus with his disciples, the kids want to come to Jesus. The disciples say, get rid of the kids. Jesus gets ticked off. He calls a child into the middle to set an example. And what does he say? If you're going to aspire to anything, you need to aspire to be a little one, not a big one. And we live in a culture right now, church, where everyone wants to be a big one. Let me tell you, even in the church setting, every pastor wants to be the next big thing. Could not care less. Could not give a stuff. Because Jesus said, Dave, your aspiration needs to be, how do I become a little one in a world that wants to be big ones? Isn't that crazy? But he says that. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? Because let me tell you, I love a good old Pentecostal meeting. Man, I'll speak in tongues with you. I'll prophesy. I'll have visions. Man, I'll go nuts with you. But let me tell you, for a first century Israel guy or woman, their understanding of that is very different to ours. They know what Jesus meant. We want to go off and all these kind of things because we don't know the scripture that well. (laughs) But again, just imagine you're living in Israel. You know the story and you know where you are. And it comes to your mind that you're actually still in exile, even though you're living in this land. Because there's an overlord, there's a desecration that's happening in your temple, and in the synagogues, in the villages that were so ancient. There's desecration that's happening. You are like under the thumb of another empire. And here's the big thought. Here's the big thought which messes with a lot of our individualistic theology. You know, because you're in exile, because this is happening, because of that, you know that your people are in sin. Okay? I'm not talking about Dave, I'm in sin. I'm talking about your people are in sin and you know that because you're still in exile. And you also know one of the markers of actually returning from exile. One of the key markers, as God promised in his scripture, is that you'll know you're out of exile when I return to my temple in the same way or in a similar way that I came to the temple in the days of Solomon. Do you remember what Solomon did? David couldn't build a temple, he was a man of war. So he prepared the material for Solomon. Solomon comes and he builds the temple, doesn't he? Builds a great temple, consecrates the temple, prays for the temple. And what happens? Shekinah glory comes. And it is just obvious. The presence of God is in the temple. Rebellious Israel get like taken away. Like glory goes. Right? 
and they're in exile, and they know the promise of God is that he will return to his temple. God's going to return to his temple. So they come out of exile. What's the first thing they do? They start rebuilding the temple, right? Because they know the story. They start, they rebuild the temple. They consecrate the temple. They pray over the temple, expecting the glory of God to return as in the days of Solomon. So they build the temple, consecrate the temple, pray over the temple, and nothing. Nothing. No glory. No glory, no God in the temple means you're still in exile. So when they are praying, or when Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, they are like, they shall see God return to his temple. That's what's in their imagination. Blessed, he's returned to his temple. Now even with that understanding, it actually just brings to life so many other stories in Scripture. Like I was just thinking about that, that's that particular blessed of the pure in heart. I'm not preaching on that. I don't know who is. Whoever's preaching on that, that's just a head start for you. But there's this cool story in Luke chapter 2. Let me read it out to you. And remember, like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in his temple. Right? Luke 2 verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Fast forward a couple of decades out of the mouth of this child Jesus, who is now a, a rabbi, a prophet. He out of his mouth said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God returning to his temple. Let's you know something about Simeon, doesn't it? See, this, this awakens Scripture to us, to know Israel's story, to actually to, to, to try to the best of our ability to leave 2021 and actually get into the narrative of Scripture. And if we do not get into the narrative of Scripture, we could be easily worshipping, praising, preaching about a Jesus who we literally do not know. Because Jesus is saying, you're blessed because this promise is fulfilled in me. And now it's outworked in you. So if I was to bring that back to 2021, I'd have a couple of questions that I'd want to ask myself and ask every single person in any church, actually, not just Kalamunda. And the first question is here, like, why are you waiting for a blessing when you're already blessed? Where did that come from anyway? Seriously. If I'm already blessed, and now there's an outworking of that blessing, right? Which actually means I need to do a bit of work, Right? You want to come to church, tick a box and say, I've done my Christian duty. You are missing out. Seriously, you're missing out. What is the very first great commission given in Scripture? The very first great commission is given to Abraham. Through your seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. Right? That thread is still throughout the New Testament. The, we as the people of God, all the nations are supposed to be blessed because of us. Right? But we've got to work this out. 
So why, 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 do we, why do we wait for a blessing when actually you're waiting? Why are you waiting? You're already blessed. You are, like, literally, you cannot get any more blessed. Seriously. Now, if I was to bless you, it would be one thing, right? If I was to sing praises or a blessing to God, that would be one thing. But when God blesses, there's no one higher than God. So when God blesses us, that's about it. You can't get any higher. You're not going to be able to get any more blessing. That's it. What you waiting for? Seriously. Go have some fun. Run amok in the name of Jesus Christ. Go and terrorize some demons for crying out loud. Don't be intimidated by the things of this world. Understand that our king is king. He is a righteous king. He is the rightful king. This kingdom is unshakable. Even though right now this world is shaking, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Go forth and break forth the kingdom of God wherever you go. Go and have some fun for crying out loud. Christianity, we should not be intimidated. We should not be fearful. Like, like, even like we, we think, oh, no, we're getting attacked. We're getting... Oh, seriously, get over it. Come on, you're blessed. It doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what people say. You know, we're supposed to be living as the new community, the new creation, the true humanity. And if we demonstrate that, my goodness, we're going to see some real cool kingdom stuff happen. And let me tell you, I've been in the camp where it was kind of fearful and we're all afraid. and oh, rah, 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 rah. But I've also been in the camp where we actually see God breaking forth and breaking loose. And I'll tell you where I'd rather be. It's a lot more fun over here than over there. Because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear anyway. Why are you thinking that? And why do we have enemies? Later on, Jesus is going to say, you need to love your enemies. In other words, Christians don't have any enemies. There is no such thing as a Christian having an enemy. But we have created Christian movements by creating boogeymen. We have. We always have an enemy. Always have an enemy. I'm sorry to like sort of step on some political toes, but you know what? Whatever policies and anything they come in, I mean, I'm going to stand up for righteousness, but I'm not really intimidated with whatever they bring in because I want my ethic and my motive to be love. I never, like, I say never, but it's a hard thing. I understand that. But I do not want my posture in life to be one of fear. I want my posture to be one of love. And if someone is so desperately broken, I want to love them. Because I want to come under the reign of my king, Jesus. And he says, Dave, you haven't got any enemies. And I'm like, you sure about that? Because I'm pretty sure they want to kill me right now. And he says, no, you have no enemies. If you want to be part of my kingdom, and if you want to live in a way where my kingdom breaks out, which is the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to live in my kingdom, you don't have any enemies. So you need to get rid of that stinking thinking. Rid of stinking, man. Why are you waiting for a blessing when you're already blessed? Why are you waiting for a breakthrough when the kingdom has already broken through? It's a different mindset, eh? <laughs> I tell you what, I go in prayer meetings and like people would be praying, oh God, you need a breakthrough, you need a breakthrough. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's already broken through because you cannot undo the resurrection. Like, you can't do that. You can't undo it. It's done. So I'm looking for opportunities. God, where do you want me to go? Even now in this season of life right now, like for Andrew and myself, is God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to be so that your kingdom breaks out? So that you just, oh, so that, 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 that there is a gathering of followers of Jesus Christ who just have so much fun and run amok in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Don't need to wait for a breakthrough. The kingdom is already broken through. And wherever we go, the kingdom is there. Amen? So there are two parts of this blessing. Our biblical hope, our eschatological hope, if you're theologically minded, is fulfilled in Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Luke chapter 4, didn't Jesus go and opens up a scroll, finds that exact place, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled. That's how Luke starts Jesus' ministry. Remember that? And again, in the Beatitudes, he's pointing back to that very same chapter. And he's saying, today that is fulfilled. And it's going to be outworked through you. And that's why you're blessed. And that's why you're blessed. So how big could this truth how big could these beatitudes shape us, shape our mind, shape our imagination? I was listening to this incredible, incredible woman, um, Christian leader in America, um, so brilliant, so smart, obviously just a great thinker. And she was asked a question, and I, it was like, oh my goodness! I actually like she answered this question. It's like, oh, I believe that as well. She was asked the question, what is the greatest threat to the church today? Oh, her answer was just so like, oh, this is what she said. The greatest threat to the church today is an impoverished imagination. We keep thinking like that and the kingdom is like this. (laughs) Do not be conformed to the pattern of this present evil age, but be transformed by the renewing or the reimagination of your mind. Repent. How many times have we talked about this? Repent, because the kingdom of God is right here, right? Repent. Rethink everything. Reimagine everything. Like everything that you thought you knew about yourself, everything you thought you knew about God, everything you thought you knew about this world, throw that to the side and reimagine everything in light of the kingdom of Jesus. An impoverished imagination is the greatest threat that the church has. That's why I want to hang out with people who've got some imagination. I want to hang out with some young people who challenge my thinking, who are forcing me to actually like, Ugh. my little um, my little cousin, second cousin, um, she started coming to church down the hill, um, and she's hungry for scripture, right? And um, this is this is where the younger generation's at, right? And um, so I was talking to her about stuff, and I said, you know what, what what happens at your your season life as young adults? And it's actually a really important thing that happens. A lot of people don't have the courage to go through the process, though. You go to university, you hang out with your friends, and there is a process of deconstructing. Any young adults being through that or going through that right now? Like, show your hands, just so you know. All right, deconstructing, right? Your faith gets deconstructed. And there are some things that should get deconstructed, Right? But what happens is that we don't have older people who love or know enough Scripture to come alongside and say, that's cool, that's great, now let us reconstruct your faith. Because that's going to take some imagination. That's going to be taking the Scripture and saying, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, what could that possibly look like? Because it doesn't need to look like this even though we've been doing this for 1,500 years. It could very well look like an outbreak of anything. How will this truth shape us as a community? 
my thought is not just with New Spring or Kalamunda. My thought is very, very much with the church in Perth. What is the next 10 years going to look like? What's the next 15 years going to look like? What's the next 20 years going to look like? I look at those who served before me and I thank God for them. I thank God for their faithfulness. But you know what? In 10 years' time, I'm still going and they're off. What is this church going to look like? We need to allow the imagination. God's given us this incredible brain. If you were with our volunteers yesterday, how great was Chelsea and actually starting that conversation about how, how fearfully and wonderfully we are made, you know? But God has given us imagination, creativity, and we need to use that. We need to employ that and not be scared of that because the extent, I mean, like, I think there's so much opportunity when it comes to what we could possibly say. So Matthew chapter 4, 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why, Jesus? Why are those who mourn blessed? And he says, Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to the poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for, of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus says, I am the one that Scripture speaks of. I am the one where every single promise is now fulfilled this day. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is now here and it belongs to such as these. So take heart. Let your mourning turn to dancing and let this great truth resonate and mess with your heart and with your soul and with your family and with your church. The great truth is this. I'm going to dance. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be courageous because I know why I'm blessed. I know why I'm blessed. I know why I'm blessed. Let me pray for you.